2: A sad, sad day as we're reflecting yesterday on the death of Robin Williams, such a great entertainer and good human being. It also reminds us that we need to put more attention in the disability community to people suffering in the mental health area. As you know, he took his own life. And he's had a real bout, severe bout with depression. And I just want to extend uh, for VoiceAmerica.com and me and Bender Consulting our condolences to friends and family of Robin Williams. And we're going to be talking more about helping people with all disabilities, including psychiatric disabilities, because I am so excited about our guest today. We have, as the president and CEO of UCP, but I want to tell you, I know him well, I love him, He's the real deal. He doesn't pretend. He really comes through. And he is an international civil rights leader. Welcome to the show, Steve Bennett.
0: Thank you, Joyce. I'm glad to be here.
2: Oh, I'm glad to have you here. And I thought we could begin uh, by you telling our listeners, Steve. And once again, he's the president and CEO of UCP. What made you first become involved? in the disability community.
0: Uh, Thank you, Joyce. Uh, You know, uh, uh, as you started talking about Robin Williams and his depression and dealing with it, uh, it, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna divert you for just a half second here, But I was just in a meeting in the last hour with our medical director and our research director regarding mental health and disabilities, and we had such an interesting conversation that ties in so closely and understanding that mental health issues are a disability and that we often, with folks who have other presenting issues, don't see their mental health issues, and I know so many people who have had all kinds of things happen to them, restraints in a classroom or being labeled this and that, and really nobody has stopped to realize that there's depression, there's bipolar disorder, there's all kinds of disorder that comes with other disabilities. And, you know, I don't think we understand how prevalent it is, Uh, not that it's necessarily more prevalent in this community than any other, but I think that we don't recognize it. We ascribe it to other issues and I just think people with disabilities don't very often get the right treatment and the right recognition for the mental health issues that they're dealing with, and uh, it is it is a crime. And and actually today we were talking about how to do a kind of an empirical study to show the level of impact of mental health issues on people with disabilities that is not being treated. And you, so, this
2: you know, is, you know why, you Steve, I am so with kids. you on this.
0: Yeah, I, this is I am
2: so with you on this. At so, the recent news conference, actually, it was just a minute or two ago, they did discuss that uh, Robin Williams hanged himself. Uh, and this is, as Steve just said, not understanding. I do not believe our society uh, understands mental illness and works enough in this area. I really don't. How can one in six people live with depression? I mean, look what happens. I don't think we understand it. I really don't. I don't think we understand what would take a person like Robin Williams to that level. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do you, even in the disability community, uh, Steve, I don't think we pay enough attention.
0: Absolutely no you 're so right and and those of us who who work in the field of disabilities and advocate, I think we 're We're blinded part of the time. We don't see it, and I think uh, we have a responsibility. I think families have a responsibility, but I also just get so frustrated with our systems, and you know we can always complain about how systems work, but I, I do know of a case where a county recently went to a generic schizophrenic drug, changed everybody immediately on their cheaper drug, and there were suicides all over the place, and you think, what the devil is happening here? But uh, you know, I, we, <laughs> we there's there's so many issues, of course, and, and and I know one of the things we want to talk about is the things that are good and where we're making progress and where we can feel power and strength and 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 all of these things. But you you brought up such an important point, I just couldn't uh, resist to address it for a moment.
2: Oh no, I, I am really glad that you did because I'm sure it's been on everyone's mind. But the first thing I thought about is why is this not discussed in our own community the way other disabilities are? Maybe because of the result, but just like the one example you gave about medication, that is so true. There are people with epilepsy that this has happened with, you know, take Depakote um, because mood disorders are often connected with all of this. So, you know, hopefully... You know, something will happen from all of this. But anyway, Steve, how about you? How did you get involved? Uh, So I started
0: uh, my work in the field of disabilities back in the early 1970s when I was in college, and I worked at night uh, with people that were coming out of Lannerman and Camarillo State Hospital, And my job was a very basic job. I I, uh, put people to bed. I bathed them. I brushed their teeth. I helped them eat. Uh, I took, uh, you know, care of them. I was a caregiver uh, for people who were just coming out of the state institutions. It was uh, an incredible incredible experience in learning about humankind and human nature and you know I was young in college it was a very impressionable age and it really set a tone I think for the rest of my life
2: Wow well thank goodness it did because it had a great impact but Steve how about if you tell our listeners about UCP the size location because I don't think a lot of people realize uh, how large you are
0: yeah it's it's um we've been around for a long time. We used to have a telethon that we had to stop uh, uh, partly because it wasn't the right message about what we were trying to do uh, but we're um, um, mostly in the United States, we have about i don't know thirty five thousand employees in the United States, uh, but we provide lots of direct services, um, um, dispersed supported living uh, job programs, early childhood programs, et cetera. Uh, And uh, we serve people not based on their diagnosis but based on their need and uh, where else they might be able to get uh, services. So it's a real mix of people. It's kind of like all families, uh, all disabilities. We keep our name because It's got such a brand recognition and there's so many people with cerebral palsy in the United States and we do represent them. We do represent them on the Hill, uh, politically, uh, etc. But we don't just do cerebral palsy.
2: And what was, again, the first thing that caused you to do that? Make the change?
0: Uh, When the the depopulation of the state hospitals, I don't know if you know this story, I'll make it quick, but our founders had founded ABC uh, Television, and Geraldo Rivera was one of their news reporters at ABC, and he wanted to do an expose on Willowbrook State Hospital back in 1970-71. And he did that, and, of course, it was unbelievably horrifying. We're talking about horrible incarceration, use of Thorazine and restraints and, and, and humane conditions, and this, this uh, expose was mind-blowing. And Nelson Rockefeller was governor at the time in New York, and he was horrified that ABC was going to um, uh, show this expose, and he begged them not to do it. And, and our founder said, no, we have to do this. This is immoral. It's got to stop. And the governor said, but once you do this, I've got to find some other place for these people because people won't tolerate uh, Willowbrook continuing to be open. And so we made a deal with the state of New York that we would take the first 400 people out of Willowbrook and provide housing and support for them. And so that broke uh, down the barrier of just serving a person with cerebral palsy. We served every the first 400 people coming out of Willowbrook, and they had a wide variety of disabilities. And we said, we don't care what your disability is. We care about what you need and how to get out of prison. And that was what changed us originally.
2: Okay, well, we have story, a question. Actually. Yeah, we have a question from one of our listeners in Miami, uh, Lucy. The question and comment is, first of all, Mr. Bennett, thank you for everything you're doing uh, to help people with cerebral palsy. My question is, how do you think this will change in the future for people with cerebral palsy? Do you see a better quality of life in their future?
0: Yes, I do. I do think we've taken some steps backwards in the last 10 years because I think we have less of a safety net. And I think that where we have more flexibility in certain states, it also means that in certain states you're getting less. When a state makes their waiting list one of their services, you know that we're in trouble. On the other hand, I think that there are things that are very positive. I think the Affordable Care Act is a, an extension, really, of, of the Civil Rights Act for people with disabilities because people are entitled to health care. That's a huge change and very, very positive. But I think in the big picture, we've got a world that is less discriminatory, that's more accepting, and I think this has a lot to do with 94-142, the public laws that allowed and actually required schools Uh, to allow our kids to go to school, to allow people with disabilities and cerebral palsy to be in public schools. I think this was a game changer, and I think we see the results. And I think that people, even on the street, have much less of a reaction, and that people with a disability who were mainstreamed are much more prepared to live in society and be part of it. And so I'm, I'm an optimist. I do think things continually get better they don't feel like it day-to-day often, but they do get better.
2: Yes, we just have quite a ways to go, but, you know, I'm always hoping that we'll see a change coming. With that, I think we have a caller on the line. <coughs> Excuse me. Mark, are you on the line? I'm here. Hey, Mark, how are you?
3: I am doing wonderful. How are you, Joyce? How are you? Doing? I am
2: just fine. Thank you. Mark Periello, CEO of AAPD.
3: Yes, um, well thank you for um, taking my call today. Um, it is always a pleasure to be on the show with you, Joyce. Um, and for folks who don't know, um, I, you, I am on the line now with two of AAPD's most outstanding board members, um, Stephen Bennett and Joyce Bender. Um, I want to thank you both for all that you do. Um, and then I have a question for Stephen. Um, one of the things, uh, you were talking a little bit about sort of the remake of UCP and, and, and the work that you're doing now um, that people might, but people might not know about, is the work you're doing with the Life Labs. And to me, it's so powerful um, that I was hoping you might be able to talk a little bit about that.
0: Of course. Thank you, Mark. And, and for those of you who don't know AAPD, uh, if, if you are a person with a disability, if you're an ally, if you're a family member, you should definitely join. Uh, the information and the work that they do is, is essential, absolutely essential, and we consider them at, our, at UCP a key partner. Um, technology, we think, is one of the biggest opportunities for people with disabilities and their families to connect to live life easier, uh, to have access to things that didn't happen in the past. And so we've really pushed an initiative in in many ways. I think uh, we have a, a fund that works with our affiliate network where we buy special equipment for people through the affiliate. And I noticed that this year 80% of the requests were iPads. And you think about wow. <laughs> What, what, what do we mean by, by I, why do everybody want iPads? And then you start looking at the apps and the adapted apps, and then you find out about um, um, uh, Able Gamers, uh, the hacker group that takes video games and makes them fully accessible on a volunteer basis and you realize that there is opportunities. I was talking to a guy today who was an executive, Dynavox, maybe some of you remember that company, uh, that created voice machines that were like 8000 bucks and slightly cumbersome. And today we have apps on our iPads that cost nothing that can do what a Dynavox did.
2: And is so, that right? Wow. I didn't know that. That is uh, amazing because, yes, I know people use that for augmentative communication. And just as you said, not only was it expensive, really big, hard to get around with.
0: Yes. And so your iPad has a number of apps. The one I'm familiar with is called Tap to Talk. Uh, It's free. If you want to really upgrade it with emotion and sentiment and reprogram it for your favorite language, you can pay a small fee, and they'll keep it upgraded for you. It's all clouded. But it's simply called an app called Tap to Talk, and it can, you know, say, I'm hungry. Uh, Actually, I'd like some fruit. No, I don't want that one. It's just great, and I, so the world is changing, and, and that's that's what we're trying to capture. And so one of the things that we've been doing lately is doing what we call designathons, where we ask people with disabilities, hackers, makers. We, we actually don't use the word hacker much anymore, but uh, developers and makers to come together for a weekend, and we put them in groups, and we mix people up, and we tell them to create an idea and execute it. So we did one just a uh, week before last in Sydney, Australia. And the winning team designed a wallet for people with uh, uh, not great fine motor skills. And the wallet was so simple, you know, like a, uh, the coin purse was very shallow and broken into places so that you could have your quarters in one and your dimes in another. Very easy to get out. The latch was easy to open, but they still did seal uh, firmly. And I just it was very a small thing. But if you have uh, fine motor skill issues, it's not a small thing. Uh, And we we recently had one where they worked on and designed a solar-powered wheelchair. And so these are things you kind of bring to the surface. We're having a guy uh, work on a project uh, with Google Glasses to wear Google Glasses and control your electric wheelchair just with your Google Glasses and your voiceover. So that you, you don't have to have clear articulation to guide your wheelchair. And so we think there's a thousand breakthroughs here. And so what we're trying to do is, is help develop uh, accessibility standards uh, that keep innovation alive. So we're in favor of net neutrality. Uh, and we're working with people like Google and Microsoft on things like the Connect And um, with Google on everything from their glasses to – and and, and AAPD, by the way, is doing a terrific job with Google these days in terms of helping Google understand the entire disability community. Uh, But we think these innovations get our allies, developers, hackers, makers – Interested in the creativity that can be applied to accessibility, ease of use for people with disabilities, to make the world around them more uh, usable and livable. So we're very excited about this and and have been building it. Uh, we have another uh, designathon coming up in a couple of months in D.C. and then the next one's in Chicago.
2: That is so exciting, Mark. Are you still there? I'm here. Yeah. What do you think of that, Mark?
3: I think it's outstanding, right, and, um, you know, it's just absolutely sort of exactly what we need groups like UCP to be doing, right, in order to advance the ball for people with disabilities, and that is what you're doing, Stephen Bennett, and your team, um, and I really commend you.
2: Hey, Mark, I'm going to ask you to hang on the line for a few minutes because um, I'm wondering, Steve, you can also answer this first. Why is this net neutrality such a hot topic?
3: Yeah, um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about that. So it's a hot topic because basically for the first time, the Federal Communications Commission is looking to... uh, put in place rules and regulations around the internet. And, there, you know, heretofore, there haven't been a whole lot. There have been some. Um, in fact, I would say that a lot of the internet regulation that exists has been um, very favorable for people with disabilities, um, comes in the form of the 21st century Communications and Video Accessibilities Act um, and other regulations. Um, and so what is happening is you really have a, a push and pull um, between the need for innovation and the need for some form of government oversight. Um, And so that is where the tension lies. Um, And, you know, from AAPD's perspective, um, you know, we really want to make sure that innovation continues. And so we, but that it's done in a way that respects, right, the gains we have made as people with disabilities. Um, And so we think there are, without getting into all the details, ways that the FCC can look at regulating the internet, um, that would do it in a a spirit um, that uh, really will help uh, ensure that the safeguards are in place that people with disabilities need. Um, And so it's definitely a hot-button topic. Um, There are lots of ways to slice the onion, so to speak. Um, And so I think that also adds to some of the complexity and some of the controversies around it as well.
2: Steve, how about you? What do you think about that? No, Marcus, right on track. I
0: mean, you know, to the regulations and laws around the Internet and around our communication are 20, 30 years old. We see these cycles of, you know, innovation that are three-year cycles, and we think, how out of date is this? So much needs to be done, and there are fears they are legitimate. There are real concerns, and yet we want innovation and creativity to continue, for goodness sakes. And so I think these are really uh, good debates and a healthy issue and we've got to come down in a place where we don't uh, limit the creativity but we do protect uh, people's privacy and their rights and the gains that uh, Mark has talked about. So.
2: Well, very interesting. And Mark, thank you for, uh, you know, joining us and hanging around to uh, talk about that. It is always a pleasure, Mark, to hear from you.
3: Thanks. It is always great to be on the show with you, and I look forward to listening to the rest of the conversation. All
2: right. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Bye. Another great person, Mark Perriello. Great. You know, leading the way at AAPD. So, you know, I think I think that I understand now at UCP, uh, Steve, and before I I even get into that, I want to echo what Mark said. I think what you're doing with technology and design, I just think that is so awesome because it's moving people with disabilities forward. It's moving communication forward, being more independent. So uh, thank you for what you're doing. Sure. Okay, so Steve, my understanding now is that you do not just serve people with cerebral palsy but other areas such as autism, various disabilities. Um, is, it, is there a limit? I mean, what are the types of disabilities that you serve?
0: Well, it, 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 there, there isn't a much limit. I mean, we have uh, one affiliate who a third of their work is just mental health and disabilities. So uh, it it really has to do with how we can package up services and programs to meet a community need. I mean, um, you know, we start with the premise that people with, uh, with disabilities and their family have the same goals as everybody else, but the challenges may be different. So our work is concentrated on a single goal, and that's ensuring people with disabilities and their families have opportunities that we all deserve. So we were founded a long time ago for cerebral palsy, uh, and but we're very interested in helping everyone overcome these challenges. Uh, and we expanded our mission um, to unite and serve people with a broad range of disabilities. So we serve those with Down syndrome, with autism spectrum, and, and to all kinds of physical disabilities. And uh, the services may vary. Uh, you can go from community community to, to see that. Um, and we do certain things, you know, I think with great expertise. We're still learning things, but our service system for people with autism has been huge. You know, we we really respect Autism Society and, and Autism Speaks and the voice they've created around autism that is so important. It's such a an issue, I think, and I'm very worried about uh, the next 10 years when this kind of this much broader look of people uh, kind of uh, come to the surface and, and learn to speak for themselves, and it's going to be a big, big issue. In the meantime, we're out there serving uh, people and families and doing the best we can. I mean, we work in all these different communities with children and adults, uh, you know, one person at a time, and there's 176,000 uh, people um, in, that we serve every day. Uh, and we serve them in-home care, transportation, training. Uh, we advocate for common-sense legislation to protect these families and support them and give them these opportunities. Um, and so uh, we, we just hammer on the issue that everybody deserves the same opportunities. How do we overcome and support uh, the struggles that we all have so they may be different?
2: Well, wow. awesome, so at UCP, if you had to list your major programs, what would they be I,
0: I would say one of the things that we 're most proud of is probably our uh, community based supported living programs. Uh, I was in an uh, apartment in um, um, uh, um, los angeles i 'm trying to think of the the city in los angeles Burbank. I was in Burbank. And I went to look at a new apartment building that UCP of Los Angeles, Ventura County, had built in Burbank. It was a gorgeous building. I think HUD had given them $2 million, and they had subsidized it with another $6 million to make it just lovely. But I went up to see a fellow that I had known from the past that had moved in there. And this fellow, um, you know, he's a wheelchair user. He uh, is quadriplegic. Uh, He has some uh, epilepsy. Uh, he has um, uh, no speech. Um, he he's on a ventilator part of the time. He lives alone in his own apartment. Wow! Is out of your mind. I, when I saw him, he was in tears. He said, "Stephen, I, I never ever believed I would be able to live in my own home."
2: Is it that great? That oh, is yeah. a great story. That is just awesome.
0: It is great, and so in, in our Los Angeles affiliate, I think they've built forty-two little buildings around the city, and they want it near. They want it near the coffee shop. They want it near the laundry. They want to be able people to roll out, walk out, um, move in the community, be part of the community. Uh, if there's a bunch of apartment buildings on the street, uh, ours is always the smallest. It's always this, we're just part of that community, and the buildings are gorgeous. And, and so our view is, it's not really the buildings. It's really our ability to support somebody living wherever they want to live, living whatever is home for them. Right. And that is not often done for people like the fellow I was just describing.
2: Oh, it isn't. That's no. why so many people that you just described live in nursing homes.
0: Yes, and and there's no real reason, except for the nursing home industry, uh, uh, don't strike me dead, nursing home industry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, it's just awful, I think. Well,
2: just, no, yeah. I have the same feeling. Yeah. Uh, so listen, we're going to get ready to go to break, and when we come back, we'll talk more to Steve Bennett, President and CEO of UCP. And civil rights leader. This is Joyce Bender, America's voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Steve.
3: News.
1: Opinion. and www.benderofcanada.com in Canada. Bender Consulting Services Incorporated, providing and creating employment opportunities, freedom, and independence for people with disabilities. www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
2: Hey, welcome back to the show. Two things. First, a special shout out to my friend, Yoshiko Dart who is truly leading the way for people with disabilities to find quality of life. The other thing I want to mention is we're going to be having Mark Johnson on the show. I'm so proud to be on the council working on celebrating the ADA's 25th anniversary. Uh, everyone should be looking at this right now. If you go to the ADA Legacy Project You can read all about it, and if you have any questions, get in touch with me. You want to be part of this. It is awesome, and we'll be talking about that in more detail with Mark. But right now, I want to get back to Steve Bennett, the CEO of UCP, and at the break, we were talking about language. You know, one of my favorite classes in college was semantics and how the meaning of words had such an impact on society, So, Steve, I know you did a study with this, and one of the first questions I want to talk to you about is I noticed that many corporations um, want to call people with disabilities differing abilities um, or a small dis and the big ability or special or specially challenged or challenged people uh, everything but the word disability because they say, that's negative. Why would anyone want to be called that? So why don't you talk first about your study, and then you can answer that question.
0: It's great. Uh, I, we, we've been feeling like um, we needed some more empirical information, really understand the way people uh, see disabilities, the way they hear, and, and we learned that it's not what we say, it's what people hear. And that's huge. And we don't really understand what people really hear when we say what we say. And we often are talking to ourselves. And we're getting about everybody else. So that's kind of the premise of our study, is to find out what people really hear when we say things and talk about things. And so we had started this with a political study uh, where we wanted to find out if people were really politically engaged because historically, politically, the disability community has been disregarded, Uh, no political power. Uh, So we realized that based on the last census that there are 56 million people in the United States with two or more disabilities that impact their daily living. What was that number. again, Steve? 56 million people experience two or more disabilities that impact their daily living.
2: Did you all hear that? 56 million. Wow. Go ahead, Steve. So then
0: we, we did a survey on how their voting patterns and what they step up on. And just a very quick summary is that people with disabilities in their families self Self claim that they vote 72% of the time. The population in America average is around 54%. That means people with disabilities and their families vote significantly in higher numbers than people without a disability. Hello, America. We're voting. We're very politically diverse. There's a lot of people who think disabilities are going to be, you know, socialists or Democrats or something because of Medicaid and, 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 and quote, welfare. But the truth is that's not so. Uh, it's like 32% are Democrats, 29% are Republicans, and the other third are independents. They care about people, people with disabilities in their family. We care about everything everybody else cares about in society, economics, jobs. Uh, health care, etc. But we also care deeply about issues impacting the disability community and we vote on these issues when we're aware of it. And if you're in the 18- to 30-year-old segment, you're even more apt to vote on these issues and care about it and actually punish politicians who are not supportive of the kinds of services and support you need so that everybody has an opportunity. This is a huge statement because if we could mobilize that that group of people we could change elections. And
2: that, you know, in that's true. Think about that. We think about that. We would be actually uh, talked to, we would be by every presidential candidate, we would be in every platform. Think about it. Right. And you remember Joyce
0: in the last presidential election at first we weren't even talked to. And you and Tony and Jonathan, uh, Tony Coelho, uh, uh you know, you guys stood up and said, no, we're going to be listened to. Now we've got research that says, hey, you politicians, you better wake up. So, okay, so we did that. And then uh, one of our board members is the director of brand, uh, vice president of brand at AARP. And he said, you guys have got to wake up to your language. You are dis- dis- uh, um You're you're pushing people away by your language. So we hired a a very well-respected political language firm here in uh, Washington, D.C., and they did studies all last year. They studied everything that we said, everything AAPD said, everything that the disability people say. And then they did focus groups, and they did interviews, and they did dial-in interviews. And statistically, they got this thing down pat. And basically what we ask is, what do people hear when we talk? And so we did this, by the way, with the, the funding from the Youth uh, Transitions Collaborative HSC Foundation, uh, because one of our issues was to find out how young people are moving. Uh, and, of course, we wanted to find the best language to decrease social stigma, and make a case for protecting uh, services and supports for people. So the language is not language that maybe we need to use in talking to each other, but it's definitely language we need to use when we're talking to opinion influencers and family members and people across the country. So, and we found out to start with, there's a lot of stuff that maybe is our truth and then there's other people's truth. And they may be different. And where we have to speak is where our truths align, if that makes any sense. Does that make any sense? So we went pretty far with this. Um, And so we tried things out. We came up with about 40 statements and really asked people, you know, um, people with disabilities are often denied full citizenship. The public says, nah, I don't see that. and we're not as the same as other movements. Most people don't believe people with disabilities are 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 discriminated against in the way other is public civil rights issues are. They don't see anybody intentionally trying to keep us down or not giving us our civil rights. And so what they said is this whole issue around civil rights and how we frame it does not work with the general population. It creates a separation. They feel the same way about the, the language about a community, our, our disability community. They say, what community? Why do you separate yourselves from everybody? You're, we're all part of the same community. You're the person down the street. You're our nephew. You're, you're everybody. Why would you separate yourself and call yourself separate from us? Why do you want to be uh, on the other side? Um, most people say, I treat everyone equally. Are you telling me? That I don't treat you right? This, this um, conflict that we set up in our language turns people off. It's, it's as if you made, uh, if the disability community, and I say it, you see, if people with disabilities in their family was a you versus us mentality, we, 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 pitting, pitting me against you is what they said. Why do you do this? It doesn't work. Uh, The approach that works is that people with disability are part of the entire community. Uh, We're part of the whole society. And so they said we need to talk in unifying messages that are personal, relatable, and universal. And so instead of talking about the disability community, we need to be talking about people with disabilities and their families. And talk about that we live uh, in a world where we all have the same goals. You've heard me do this today already. I think um, they're, they're, they really had some very anecdotal stuff about disabilities. Is not a standalone issue. It's about your family and your friends as well, and that you don't need to deny that. You don't need to act like that you're separate and standing alone. The the interesting thing about the word disabilities was that they said it's not great, but they said that's not really your worry. When you start going disabilities or pro-ability or um, special, it says all it does is bring a lot more attention to you trying to label yourself. The disabilities is nearly at the point where it's just a word. And we know yeah. when we dissect it, it's offensive. disability, It's offensive to us. But they said for the general public, it's just a word. Get over it. They said any time you play with it and make it special or unique or differing abilities, it just shines a light in, on a light where you don't want it shine. It's not helpful. And they said quit doing it and quit using the word special. And now we found this interesting. And they said, you know, from our focus groups, your problem is not disabilities. It's all the people who are still using handicap it's still a problem with all these labels on parking spaces and bathrooms that say handicap. They said if you want to get upset about something, get handicap changed. Which is kind of interesting, you
2: know. Isn't that right, though? People aren't going around fighting about that, but they want to change the word. I have a question. There's only one thing I don't understand there. Now, what about, you mentioned Tony Quello? Okay, what about people like him, people like you, people like Andy Imparato, Jonathan Young, uh, whomever it is, that is fighting for the rights of people with disabilities? How is that not fitting? That's the part I don't understand.
0: So among us, we can talk about that. But When we're talking to opinion leaders and we're talking to others, we are not talking as if we're not included. We talk about our successes. We talk about how far we've gotten. We talk about how far we want to go. And all we want is an equal opportunity to, to pursue our dreams and goals like everybody else.
2: Oh, I see what you, you mean. You can
0: argue with that. Bring unifying messages, not separating messages.
2: Yeah, I see what you mean. I absolutely messages, see what you where mean.
0: We're labeling somebody that they're denying us something or not allowing us to have something. Talk about it in terms of a unifying message. Yeah.
2: Now, Steve, is there access to this, which you did? This study, is <laughs> the, there access to it? Th-
0: there will be. It's, it's very weird. So they released it in late April in just kind of a, a report form that's non-written. And so what we're doing is having them write it for lay people, and we're building kind of a toolkit for organizations and communication groups to use. And so we're in the process of doing that with like September, October goals of having some of this stuff ready. So what we're doing now is just introducing it to people and getting people kind of ready for the idea. But we strongly would like everybody to look at this and think about it because if it's just us using it, it's not going to be nearly as impactful as having all of us think about how we use language. So we're going to make it more accessible. We just haven't – we're still uh, polishing it up so that it's more usable and and, – um, our staff here, uh Shelley's working on this, and, and we're really trying to get this ready.
2: Oh, I think it's awesome. I think this is so important. And I guess we should just follow your website if we want to see this, right? Yeah. And what is that?
0: You, it's ucp.org.
2: Okay. I know we're going to soon not have a lot of time left in the show. Before we move on to some of my last questions, uh, Steve, if someone wants to make a contribution to UCP, how do they do that?
0: The, thank you. <laughs> the easiest way is just go on our website, ucp.org, and press the button that says Donate, and it will guide you right through it very quickly.
2: Okay, ucp.org. So if you're listening to the show, you're excited about all this, Go to UCP dot org and push that button donate and make a contribution today. Well, Steve, I have a question that I have to ask you that um I think will tell us a lot about you. And the question is, um, who was and or is your role model?
0: Uh, you know I, I I you always ask this question. question. <laughs> And, and it's, I think it's a group of people. I mean, you, you, you think about uh, the Tony Coelos, uh and the Justin Darts and the Joyce Benders, and you go, you know, you guys are unrelenting, uh, unstoppable, doing 20,000, 30,000 things at once. But I think one of the most important people in my life and in my work with disabilities is when I went to work uh, in my uh, early 20s in Los Angeles at a center that was pulling these people out of the state hospital. And it, it had a horrible name, a Spastic Children's Foundation. They changed their name, but, oh, my God, they were fantastic. And it was one run by a woman named Ann Went, who had been a housewife and had come to volunteer. And over time, she took over this organization, and she was one of the most fierce, clear-headed advocates I've ever seen in my life. And she was my mentor. And she did not put up for so much of the BS. And when people told her she couldn't do it, she would take a van and drive to the state hospital and get six more people out and bring them back.
2: Oh, uh, what a great story that is. She
0: was amazing. She had no formal education, but she hired people who did. She knew how to get people done. And I remember one day we were all exhausted, and she said, you know, there's ten more people. We've got to get out of Camarillo. And we sat there and said, "Anne, we can 't do it we 're exhausted. we have no space. The licensing's going to come in and get us. We, you know we don't have the funding we can't do it and she took her shoe off and she pounded it on the table, and she said, "You go get these people out of the state hospital, or you get your to your desk and clean it out and get out of the building Wow and she meant it, and I mean, ugh. Oh. The things we did and the things she caused us to do pushed every barrier I've ever seen, and she was so strong, and she taught me so much, uh, and she, gave, she she really role-modeled guts. And let, let me tell you, we didn't do everything perfectly. We did a lot of mess-ups, but my God, we set a lot of people free.
2: Well, you know... What more can you do? What a rewarding feeling. I mean, wow, what a great le- It's always these people, though, that a lot of people don't know or hear about that are true champions like this woman. Right. I, I mean, it really is. Well, Steve, I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you again because life changes, things change. Um, what-, what are you the proudest of?
0: What am I the proudest? Of? Oh, I'm, I'm proudest of being a direct care staff person. Be to, to, to be close to people where you're uh, dealing with such basic things and if you can rem- keep learning that lesson of respect and of a human being and each other and do it with dignity and trust, and leave a person totally intact when you're doing that kind of personal care to me is the highest level of human achievement. And it's probably, I I look back and I still think, this is one of the best things I've ever learned in my life.
2: Well, you know what, Steve? I just love you. You are just a really wonderful person, and I want to thank you for everything you've done for people with disabilities. Well,
0: Joyce, let me just end with two sentences. This is the short message from the language study. People with disabilities and their families have the same goals as everyone else, even if we face different challenges, and we all deserve the opportunity to achieve those goals.
2: Wow, what a great message that is. Well, Steve, hey, listen, thank you so much for everything you're doing, and thank you for being with us today.
0: You bet, Joyce. Thanks for doing this show. You always do a great job.
2: Well, I end every show with a quote from a great leader, whether it's any type of civil rights. But today, this quote is from Tony Quello, and that is, work gives us dignity. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next
1: week.